When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. Hey guys, are you ready for some money rehab? Wall Street has been completely upended by an unlikely player, GameStop. And should I have a 401k? But you don't never... do it? No, I never. Girl! You think the whole world revolves around you and your money? Well, it doesn't. Charge for wasting our time. I will take a check. Like a old school You recognize her from anchoring on CNN, CNBC, and Bloomberg. The only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. The cold lapin. Yesterday on Money Rehab, we had an episode with Christine Brown, the chief operating officer of the crypto side of the investing slash trading app Robinhood and one of the original architects of the platform. I mentioned in the episode that Robinhood is controversial. Some people love it. Some people think it's dangerous. Christine covered many of the positive aspects of Robinhood which are real. But I wanted to make sure I was telling both sides of the story. So today I'm diving deeper into the dark side of Robin Hood with Dr. Richard Smith. Here's the rest of our conversation. So to set the stage, of course, a lot of Robin Hood has been in the news, a lot of headlines. There's GameStop, there are recent data breaches. When I spoke to Christine, there were two pieces of controversy that I really wanted to hone in on. The first is pay for order flow, how Robin Hood makes its money. And the second one is whether the app has greater responsibility for transparency with its users. And when I say transparency, I'm talking about a mix of concerns, like are Robinhood users really clear on the difference between investing and trading? Should there be more safeguards protecting investors, especially young, novice, or green investors? So let's start with the macro picture. Why do you think people are choosing Robinhood over other investing platforms these days? Look, I think Robinhood has done a phenomenal job of lowering the barrier to entry for anyone to be able to invest in the markets. So, you know, kudos to them. They, you can now open up an account with $500, whereas, you know, it wasn't that many years ago that $10 a trade, 20 bucks for a round trip transaction, right? On a $500 account, I think if my math's right, that's like 4%. So you're taking a 4% hit on transaction fees to be, even be able to buy and sell one stock. So with fractional shares, with commission-free trading, that really opened up the world of investing to people with much smaller account sizes, right? People can now open up an account with their stimulus checks during COVID and you can be in the action. I think that they were in the right place at the right time with the pandemic and the lockdowns and people turning to the stock market to do some of their gaming. So look, I really admire, I have to say, Robin Hood for bringing as many people into the markets as they did. So kudos to them. 
Yeah, for sure. Kudos to them for a lot of those innovations. You mentioned that just a few years ago, there were all these really high commission trades and high minimums. But fast forward those few years, that's not the case. I mean, Robin is not that novel at this point when it comes to democratizing, so to speak, trading. Yes. And I think there's a downside. There's a dark side. <laughs> there's an underbelly here to the free trades model. What do you think that dark side is? Well, I think it's the user as product business model out of Silicon Valley, right? I think it's actually the same problem that Facebook has, where the incentives, the profit motives are misaligned with the outcomes for the users. Facebook and Google, their customers are their advertisers. We are their users, right? We're not their customers, we're their users. And with Robinhood, with free trades, the users are not the customers either. So those entities that are paying Robinhood for the privilege of executing their customers' trades are getting some value out of that data. They're buying data. And they're using that data to basically place their own bets, Okay, so they're getting a picture of the market that is informing their decision making, their capital allocation decisions. And those may not be, you know, in alignment with the best outcomes for the Robinhood crowd. Right. And then furthermore, you know, Robinhood makes a ton of money on GameStop frenzies, on AMC frenzies, on Dogecoin frenzies. Right. So, you know, you, there's no way that I can figure out that they're not incentivized to turn up the dial on those things every once in a while, just like Facebook is incentivized to turn up the dial on controversy, on negative stories, right? They know when they do that, they get more engagement, they get more ad dollars, et cetera. And Robinhood's got the same problem. They are incentivized, you know, their best quarters were GameStop and AMC in quarter one, Dogecoin in quarter two. And then you saw them get hit pretty hard in quarter three when they didn't have all that revenue from those trading feeding frenzies. I think that is something that the SEC is looking at. And that's something hopefully Robinhood's looking at. You know, how does that payment for order flow incentive um, create a little bit of conflict of interest with their users? Okay, so let's unpack this for our listeners. So even though, you know, they'll tell me they're helping educate on investing and safe investing for young people, my experience is that that's not the case. If you want to be a long-term investor, you're going to put your money in index funds and chill. You're not going to buy options on GameStop when you've never put a dollar into the market until that exotic trade. In principle, yes, I totally agree with you. I think Robinhood is doing a lot of work to educate people, but I just can't seem to get away from what their incentives are. And I think those incentives do influence, you know, what they put in front of novice investors. At this point, we have to take their word for it that most of their investors are long-term investors. But hey, you know, I, I would like to see a lot more transparency. You know, you could share that data in a non-personal, transparent way to show us what is the connection between what you're putting in front of customers, what opportunities you're presenting to them, right? Like I'm on their email list. I get these notifications about new IPOs all the time. And look, young people can take more risk. 
You know, it's not necessarily inappropriate for young people to be making bets on more speculative outcomes, right? So you've got a lot of time for that to potentially pay off for you. So I'm not against, you know, trading in speculative assets for young people, but I do think that we just have to be careful about the incentives of the companies that are putting different opportunities in front of us. Although it can be dangerous, as you know. It absolutely can. You know, I think about Alexander Kearns, who killed himself after seeing what ended up being a misleading $700,000 negative balance in his Robinhood account. That was a tragedy. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know to what extent it's affecting other young people's mental health because you're going in, you're allowing somebody to fly a plane or do brain surgery without the proper education. So do you think trading should be available to everyone? If I were in charge, <laughs> I would treat it a lot like the smoking industry, where a portion of every sale, you know, package of cigarettes went into an educational fund to educate people about, you know, the risks of smoking. So I mean, it's not a completely perfect analogy, but I think that the more speculative, the more trading the activity, we should consider a kind of education tax on that that would go into a program to really fund financial literacy. Because one of the tragedies here is that there is such robust interest in the markets from young people, right? That was not happening five years ago. Like there were serious conversations going on, like, is the stock market going to die because, you know, nobody's interested in it anymore except a bunch of old people, right? So it's incredible that the interest levels that young people are taking in the markets today, really exciting. And I want that to turn into decades of fruitful market participation. But that's going to take some work because the way it's going right now feels very familiar to me back from the dot-com boom and bust. And I'm really concerned that there could be something catastrophic here that would turn a whole generation of investors off the markets for a generation, right? For 20 years. I love the idea of warning label, so to speak. Yeah, they have it in Europe. Yeah, I love that idea. Listen, there's nothing I love more even though we do love a good warning label, then financial literacy. So I am all here for that every day. You know, we talk about this on the show actually every day. Undoubtedly, there are good things that Robinhood has done. They're doing a great job getting people into this space, as you mentioned, making it easier. But if we could just touch again on the user as product idea and this idea that has come from Silicon Valley, it seems to me that that is permeated over to this space as well. I've heard a lot of our listeners, folks on social media, and even the points guy, Ryan Kelly, who came on our show and said that he is addicted to Robinhood. Now, I've been doing this for a long time, and I've never heard anyone say they're addicted to Charles Schwab, for example. No one is sliding into my DMs and saying, I need a step program for my addiction to Vanguard. But they are with Robinhood. Why do you think that is? The payment for order flow does benefit from an addiction model. Gambling is addictive. And so when you can create an addictive relationship with your user, right? They are always coming back to you to get more. And there's a lot of information out there that you can research about it and people that you can listen to about it. It actually creates the perfect environment for a dopamine-based gambling type addiction. You know, to me, the biggest concern that a lot of the payment for order flow based revenue models 
of you know new brokerages are highly incentivized to basically create a gambling addiction in their users. And they're not the only ones. This is the model of the internet more broadly right now is to create addictive relationships. Netflix wants you to have an addictive relationship with their content. Robinhood wants you to have an addictive relationship with trading, especially, you know, highly speculative liquid things. Um, Facebook wants you to have an addictive relationship with your body. If you're a teenage girl, right, watching other, you know, pictures and going, man, how come I don't look like that? Uh, All of that creates addiction. And they know this. We know this. Science knows it. And we're not doing anything about it. It's a problem with the structure of the internet today, which is built on this kind of model to capture people's attention and then keep them stuck and modify their behavior towards your profit motives. I think of it for sure as this dopamine drip that we've been on. I called it a dopamine cage match in my last book, and it's from Facebook and Instagram to Twitter to Tinder, you know, all of these different tactics that we're seeing out of these Silicon Valley companies. And yeah, Robinhood was started by two Silicon Valley bros. Who were involved in high-frequency trading before they started Robinhood. So they knew all about high-frequency trading. They knew about payment for order flow. I'm pretty sure they must have intended to get to commission-free trading from the beginning along that pathway, and they weren't transparent about it. They were disingenuous about it. You know, and they concealed it and then they got fined a couple of times for not acting in the best interest of their customers. So that's a problem. And they have to explain themselves and really prove that they're not just going to keep taking these fines as, you know, slaps on the wrist to the next big level of uh, valuation. Well, that's exactly what I see is going on. It's a whole other conversation. But once these guys, in particular for Robinhood, raise so much money that these fines are really negligible. They can do all sorts of illegal shit, and then they take a slap on the wrist, and they still have a gajillion dollars to play around with. Can you break down, though, how pay-for-order flow is different from how the other brokerages operate? We just saw a bunch of headlines that the European Commission is expected to ban the practice of payments for order flow in their new directive. We're just now seeing that the SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, is thinking that payment for order flow ban is on the table coming up. I'm assuming that it's going to be contagious into the United States, but how do other fidelities of the world operate without pay for order flow? This is another thing that bothers me about Robinhood. You know, they present payment for order flow as if this is something totally vanilla. It's been going on for 20 years. Everybody does it. And that's true in a technical way, right? Payment for order flow has been around for a while. But if you look at Schwab and like what percent of their revenue comes from payment for order flow, it's very small. Robinhood, it's like 80, 90%. Building a whole revenue model for a retail broker dealer business on exclusively on payment for order flow is unprecedented. So yes, payment for order flow has been around for 20 years, but it's never been around like this. And when it gets to a level like that, it, it introduces conflicts of interest that there's just no way to get around. There's no way to get around it. The regulators are going to have to step in here. They're going to have to do something. I don't think a ban on payment for order flow is exactly what's needed. Look, there are benefits to it. But 
I do think that's something like a, a kind of tax on like the wider the spreads, the more illiquid the instruments to kind of penalize that a bit. Hold on to your wallets, boys and girls. Money Rehab will be right back. Now for some more Money Rehab. So here's my hypothesis. Because of all of the discussion around banning or regulating payment for order flows, I think that Robinhood, now being a public company, of course, is freaking out. And they're trying to double and triple down on their crypto offerings because they know that something ginormous is going to happen and they are going to have to pivot. And this is why they offered to only talk about their crypto offerings. What do you think? Oh, interesting. <laughs> I think that's an interesting, intelligent hypothesis. Good one. So for folks who are invested in HOOD right now, do you think they should be aware of what is looming as far as regulations on a majority of how they make money? I'd be concerned about it. You know, Robinhood, as far as I'm concerned, they have to prove that they've changed their stripes. And uh, I wouldn't invest in them until they prove that to me. I think they have quite an opportunity to do the right thing. And now let's talk about investing as creating the future world that you want. Who are all of us investors who are just going, well, okay, I'll buy Facebook anyways. I know teenage girls are committing suicide from like, you know, spending too much time on Instagram. I've got my own teenage daughter, but you know, it's probably not going to happen to her. So Facebook's down. I, I better buy it. It's gonna, just going to go up. We have to rethink what it means to be an investor. We have to rethink what capital allocation means. And we have to understand that capital allocation is a form of voting. Absolutely. With your money. I made the choice actually to not take a endorsement or sponsorship deal from Robinhood. It's the first time I ever said no to some deal of that magnitude. Wow. And I did it because I just didn't believe in it. Awesome. And I think that we can all do that in small ways. Amen. Where, you know, the bigger picture matters more than the short-term game. As investors, we need to actually decide, no, I'm not going to invest in that company. Right. I remember when GameStop was going on. And Nicole, I'm pretty darn literate about the markets. I could see an opportunity to make money in GameStop when everybody was freaking out about it. I did not participate in it because I thought it was not a good thing for the markets. I thought it was not a good thing for the people, the young people that were getting involved in it. And I chose consciously to say, no, I'm going to pass on that opportunity. I'm not just here to pull a buck out of the markets. Right. So I think that's really important. I think more and more people are realizing that. And I think there's an, there's an opportunity to turn this ship around. Okay, so maybe Robinhood can pivot. We'll see. But it's tough to pivot when you have incentives that have uh, you know, gotten you to where you are and that have created an expectation now that you'll continue on that trajectory. You know, the only two businesses that call their customers users, you know, it's like drug dealers and uh, internet platforms. <laughs> Mic drop. I have nothing else to say. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Great talking to you. 
For today's tip, you can take straight to the bank. I'm not going to tell you which platform you should use to make your investing dreams come true. The best app for you is the one that has a user interface you like, makes intuitive sense to you, and helps you meet your goals. I am also not going to tell you which platforms you shouldn't use. Both of the Money Rehab producers use Robinhood, and they both have positive experiences and made good returns on the investments they've made on the platform. All good stuff. But I will say that these apps don't share your investing dreams, your incentives, or even your best interest. So if you are considering Robinhood, make sure you're taking the time to look into some of the alternatives as well. I'll support whatever decision you make so long as it's an educated one. is a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Our producers are Morgan Lavoie and Mike Coscarelli. Executive producers are Nikki Etor and Will Pearson. Our mascots are Penny and Mimsy. Huge thanks to OG Money Rehab team Michelle Lands for her development work, Catherine Law for her production and writing magic, and Brandon Dickert for his editing, engineering, and sound design. And as always, thanks to you for finally investing in yourself so that you can get it together and get it all. We spend the-